Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. An ongoing conversation with ministry leaders about embracing complexity and uncertainty with joy and faithfulness. Friends, this is Adam Borneman with the Ministry Collaborative, continuing this really important and intriguing conversation with my colleagues about ministry to youth and families. And I'm joined by Bianca Howard, Kyle Bender, and Brittany Porch. It's a great joy of ours that Kyle, Bianca, and Brittany have agreed to host another iteration of a cohort focused on youth and families ministry starting in just a few months. Anyone interested should feel free to reach out to our staff at any time. I'm just going to set you all up with something we touched on in the last episode that I'm hearing from all corners of ministry, and that is the crisis of mental health. It's not new, but specifically in the case of young people, some research has come out on a number of fronts. I know, Brittany, you've mentioned the CDC reports, and I've also seen it in Pew, that the number one concern of parents, it's not bullying, it's not drugs, it's not violence, it's a lot of those things, but the very top of the list is mental health. And then you mentioned the CDC reporting four out of 10 Gen Z feeling sad, hopeless, despairing. And there's other outlets where we've seen this sort of thing corroborated. So how do we deal with that in the context of youth ministry? How have you navigated this rapidly growing crisis? I mean, you could see it a lot before the pandemic. I kept screaming. I felt like into a void, like every kid is on sleep aids. Every kid is having panic attacks. What is happening to our young people and how do we become part of the solution, not the problem? And then the pandemic hits and it's a full on crisis. And I look at our young people and I think, God doesn't care if they know every story in the Bible. God wants them to thrive and be alive and not navigate this world feeling sad and hopeless. So everything changes. When I was doing church ministry, we had a saying where we'd always say, we want to know kids so kids can know God. And part of that is just to like encourage us to continue to get to know their lives. And as before a kid's going to really take on abstract concepts like faith and God and mystery, on some level, they have to feel known and seen and valued. And when kids are in these kind of mental health crises, it just feels like it's an imperative for us, like you said, to pay attention to this, to notice it, and to potentially even address it first, hold it up there with the importance of some of these other things that we're holding so they can feel known. And then they might be able to engage in these bigger, broader abstract concepts like faith and God and mystery. It's very right in front of our face what they are dealing with. I think it's also continuing to put it out there and make it known, not make it taboo or a stigma. In the Black church, it is still that, unfortunately. I'll throw out therapy or I'll throw out counseling and you still kind of get crickets. It's always about the Holy Spirit will take care of it or God will will pray it away. And that's still unfortunate that we still think like that. But we got to keep putting it out there. We got to keep voicing it and saying that this needs to happen. We need to talk about it and making space for it and bringing it up consistently and not ignoring the need for what's happening with our young people and how they feel. And so I've kind of sometimes I've kind of gone over parents' heads Mm. because Mm. I know a kid needed something. And unfortunately, you have to do that sometimes in places that it's not received. How would you all put this crisis in conversation with faith formation, nurture? We've all been shaped and formed in our faith in a lot of different ways. And I'm wondering... What about that do you constructively critique? What are you seeing afresh? I'm just curious about this crisis against the backdrop of formation. 
Well, I think like, how do you be a follower of Jesus if you can't get out of bed in the morning? Mm-hmm. How do you go to church if you're scared to be in a large crowd because school shootings are part of your backdrop? That is the world they're navigating. They're having real conversations like, why would I have kids when the climate may not exist and the world may fall apart? A hundred percent of kids are facing mental health crisis, not necessarily in themselves, but they love someone who's having a mental health crisis. That's a good word. Everything we do needs to be through this. So like for me, for example, I've looked up what are some good mental health coping mechanisms? And we frame a lot of our work through that. Like we stop doing overnights because disrupted sleep doesn't help mental health. So we make sure they're home by midnight, get all the good stuff in, but they get a good night's sleep. We think about that in the busyness schedule. Our retreats now have sleep in time. Instead of waking up at 8 a.m. for Bible study, we let them sleep and eat a good breakfast and spend some time in nature. So like reframing everything, the church cannot fix kids' mental health, Mm -hmm. but we are one sliver of the pie that is a kid. Clinical help is another sliver. Schools, coaches, parents, friends. And if we work together, that's where you deconstruct some of that program, busyness, guilt, shame, church theology that seeps in all the time. Like, where were you last week? (laughs) Maybe not the right question. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good word because you got me thinking too that in really maybe even more than a sliver, the, the good news here is that we necessarily have to start thinking holistically about faith formation. That it's not just, I thought hard about something about God and that's fixed everything, but that it does involve your body. It does involve wellness. It does involve the way you live and the way you interact and and dealing with all the types of things you're describing. And, and that sort of holistic formation is desperately needed, I would think. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. When we talk about formation, we're talking about formation of our whole selves. Mm-hmm. And that brings in not just our mind and the way we think about things, but our feelings and our bodies and everything else that makes us human. And I know I grew up with a faith where I think I even had like an image of a, sorry if I'm stepping on any toes here, but it's like a train where the engine was fact and then there was faith and then feelings was like the caboose and we just didn't pay attention (laughs) to feelings. And one of the things I see in the therapeutic world and what we're learning constantly is how much information is in the body and how much information is in our feelings And when we can actually pay attention and lean in and listen to that, there's really, really valuable information that's standing in the way often of our own formation, our own transformation because of things we learned and emotional knowing we learned when we were younger. Mm. If we're talking about formation of people, what Brittany said was to make space for mental health and how we program and how we think to make it something that we consider when we plan activities. It has to be there because it's part of what it means to be human And it's part of how we grow and transform is to pay attention to these areas. And what would happen if we gave our kids healthy coping strategies? Let's look at a college campus and binge drinking. I mean, substance abuse. So many people turn to that to cope with their mental Mm -hmm. health and anxiety and stress. And what would it look like if they had this whole toolbox of other things beyond substance abuse to deal with their mental health? I would also bring up the idea of deconstructing um, ideas that you can't be safe if you share your feelings Mm -hmm. or having to be hard and, you know, not 
talking about your feelings or not having a safe space to share that and taking that away. I think that's one area that I know a lot of Black men have struggled with because of how society sees them and how they feel like, and this starts as little boys, oh, don't cry, or you don't share how you feel, or you can't show who you really are. And they mask it with all kinds of other things like sports or sex or other things. And I think it's deconstructing that and taking that away and showing that it's okay to be in a group and to share and to cry and to be vulnerable. So sometimes we got to change the thinking and the thoughts that have formed our identity and, and remove that and make it different in certain spaces. Have you all seen contexts, maybe even your own, where this is handled in a way that you think is really healthy, fruitful, theologically rich? I mean, just something that you think, this is what the gospel looks like when these things are taken seriously. There's a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, that has started a program where they have youth be mental health advocates in their youth ministry program. Mm. And it's their ownership. And they run a once a month mental health check-in. And then they kind of notice where people are. Not only are they giving coping strategies, designated space for listening ear, making space for this particular conversation, they're also then these young people have taken leadership to also check in on so-and-so. Again, you're playing with the tension of like, we're not therapists and we need to know when to point to a therapist or emergency help or professional help. But we do have a role to play in just being in each other's lives, showing that we care and showing up. And I loved that model of youth taking some ownership of that. How do you all talk about mental health, the therapeutic needs, the coping that you described, having youth advocates, all of these things? How is this shifting theology in the church? Where does the theological lens for thinking about this stuff So that we're not compartmentalizing things, but they're actually helping people say, see, this is good news for you that God does love you and it looks like this in your life. Or how do you make sense of that? I think just being reminded of scripture and and what God says to us about him caring and casting your cares and he cares for the least of these and all, all those things and going back to that foundation of what the word says about you know, mental health is all up in the Bible, whether it's named or not. (laughs) I mean, think about it. I mean, the Psalms and, you know, the way David cried out and so many, and we name it all types of other things, but that's what, you know. And so just going back to those basic scriptures of who God is to all of us and reminding people of the narrative of how God loves us and how he truly does care and desires for us to be whole. Well, wasn't there like a theology for such a long time that like being a follower of God meant like sacrifice, giving up the ways of the world in a way that was like pressure, guilt, shame. Mm. This is how you follow God. But what does it look like when we change the theology to say like, God just loves you so much that God doesn't want you to be sad and hopeless always. There will be times we're sad. That like makes sense when your dad dies, but it doesn't make sense to live in day in, day out, holding the weight of the world on your shoulders. And God wants you to love who you are, your skin, your sexuality, who you are as a friend and thinking of it in that sort of holistic way of like, I think about confirmation. It used to be such a bunch of checklists, like memorize this, do this, get examined by the session. 
that does not work anymore. Like kids would throw up and be shaking on the ground. (laughs) But what does it mean when you show up for confirmation and it's all just about Jesus loves the heck out of you? You are good enough and you are wonderfully made. And let's live into that. And we should care about our neighbors and care about every kid in this group thriving too. And I think that's just a shift in theology along the years. Yeah. And one of the things we know is shame shows up very easily and naturally. None of us here have to work to experience and feel shame. It's part of the human experience. So all throughout the unfolding of the story of Scripture, even in a lot of ways, it's like, what does it mean to be fully human and fully alive? Mm. You know, shame is a constricting emotion. It keeps us in fear. It keeps us doubting. But then when we think about Jesus and the grace and the gifts that He offers us to step into our fullness, our humanity, the invitation is to live a fuller and richer life. And part of that comes from being engaged in this space of what's going on in our bodies, what's going on in our minds, what's going on in our souls, what's going on in our emotions. And really, if you think about it, we have just more sophisticated language now Part of this is more sophisticated language than certainly the Old Testament writers or the New Testament writers had about what's the experience like to be a human being. We know more about the brain, how it functions in our nervous systems, and we have more sophisticated language. I don't know that it's a shift in theology. I think it's always been there. We just have new ways to talk about it and better language to actually say, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? And what's the invitation of God towards that end? I was with a bunch of youth the other day in my office. They were on spring break and incredibly bored. So I guess they were just going to stay for hours and hours. And I felt like it was a mini retreat. Like they just told me the pain and suffering that is finding your eighth grade roommate for the DC trip. I mean, that sounded like torture. I wanted to throw up like as they were speaking. (laughs) But I think about like all of these systems that have just been the way it is, the way it is forever. Amen. Like we have to evaluate the systems to think about, are they helping our youth and not hurting our young people? They were telling me also their Spanish teacher asks the first five minutes for a mood check-in and they like figure out where they are on like emotional literacy. And I'm like, thank God that Spanish teacher cares to take five minutes away from Donde Esta El Baño to see how they're doing. And then I had a clinician, pediatrician in the church say that she was so grateful the church was part of this puzzle. And like I was saying earlier, it's just how do we all work together on this? This is the issue of our day for our young people. This is the church showing up. This is ministry to youth. Yeah. In the last episode, you know, we said, what problem are we trying to solve? And there's an element of as things are shifting, what do we see so that then we can figure out, you can see this, right? We see this issue clearly. So if we're worried and wondering where to throw a dart and try to see what sticks, it certainly feels like mental health is a great place to start. It's right there. And for just a last round, Robin, as we close this episode, I want to push this conversation about our theological framing of this a little further and ask you all, what do you see the Holy Spirit doing among young people that's inspiring to you? I would say their desire to lead and their desire to innovate and be a different church than we've been. And I think we got to give them that space to do that. They are so smart. And I think if we give them a space to lead and to create, no telling where the Holy Spirit will take us, take the church. 
I think for years in youth ministry, I was so busy teaching them about the systems of justice in our world and how we're called to remake those. These kids know justice. They know racism. They know climate change. And they are warriors and champions for these causes. But what they may need is a little respite from that, (laughs) a little break from carrying the weight of the world and the challenges of the world. And this generation just may need lots of time to gather and play for fun and laugh and eat. Yeah, and I think part of what we're talking about is it's a challenge to grow up in a more connected world. But one of the things I have a lot of hope in and I'm encouraged by is that young people are growing up in a more connected world and they're paying attention and they're caring for each other well. And I'm just always impressed by the often the empathy and the connectedness and the desire for understanding that I see in young people when they kind of look around and survey a complicated, complex, but yet more connected world, they seem to want to lean in. And that encourages me greatly. Thank you all so much for a rich conversation. uh, One that I look forward to continuing with you. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.